tonight. There's no notes. We're just going to dive into it. I believe you guys probably are familiar with the name I'm talking about, Revival. One of my favorite subjects. Are we good? All right. So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Uh, this is one of, again, this is one of my favorite subjects to preach on. I love revival. I love the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. But, Father, we lift it up. We ask you tonight, as we come to you corporately, in Jesus' name and through his blood, we ask you to bless this time in the word. Lord, I ask you that you would speak through me, anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken under a mighty anointing. Lord, let your Holy Spirit even now begin just to move upon every person that's going to be listening to this, whether they're driving down the road, however they're going to be hearing this, maybe through Facebook. But Lord, that every single person, let the Holy Spirit move upon them where they're at. Help us by the Holy Spirit just to get locked in and focused. No distractions, no hindrance. The Holy Spirit moves upon us that we're good, fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Lord, help us to be good soil in our hearts and minds that the Word will go out as living seeds of truth sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, I ask you to speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. Let the winds of your Spirit carry this out among the nations. It's going to get where it needs to go accomplish what it needs to accomplish let there be a washing of the water of the word lord let your word be like a hammer that breaks through religious strongholds let it be a sword lord that's going to penetrate lord let your word go out as a bright shining light of truth and revelation that dispels all the darkness and lies of the enemy and father we commit this unto you and we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we ask you, let everything be accomplished in and through this time in the word that your will to be done. We're all in agreement. And Lord, you said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So let's agree. Father, we submit this unto you and we resist the enemy. We bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this in any way. We command you to back off and go right now in Jesus' name. So Lord, we thank you for victory tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive into this word tonight. How many of you guys love the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I love the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And uh, you know, who knows, I may follow up some with some other aspects of this where we deal with the gifts and things like that. But I love the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I love the word. I'm a student of the word. And I, I go deep in the word. I, I think you guys probably know that. I mean, we all together do this. But we go deep. We do word studies. I love, I love the word. But the word is going to be very dry without the Holy Spirit breathing upon the word. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his ministry. And Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us the word. But tonight I want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about revival. And so I'm coming at this from an aspect of we need to be clothed with power to do what Jesus did. We need it. And so let me open up with this. Let's look at Jesus' ministry for a moment. We know that from the garden all the way through, there was prophecies of this coming great Messiah. And Jesus comes on the scene, and, and one of the many prophecies was out of Isaiah. And Jesus, I'm going to read starting in Luke uh, chapter 4, starting with verse 14. And it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the surrounding district. So Jesus came in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And let me tell you, sometimes the Lord, when you begin to enter your call and it's your time, instead of just going straight into it, there's times that God will take people and he will put you into a wilderness time for a while to prepare you. So don't get discouraged if God's got his hand on you and he's called you. And next thing you know, you think that you're going to be entering into ministry, but all of a sudden you find yourself in a wilderness for a while. Just remember that Israel was promised the promised land, but before they could get to it, they had to go through a wilderness. And there were many other examples. I mean, before Abraham saw Isaac, there was this waiting period. Before, you know, Samuel prophesied to David, but there was up to, scholars say, up to maybe 16 years that he wandered in caves. That's a long time. So sometimes there's this waiting, but God is doing something. And Jesus, you don't mind me rabbit on just for a moment with this, but Jesus had to go through this because it was part of his destiny. See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, Jesus, what Jesus was going to do was he was going to have to face what they faced. And so before he entered into his ministry, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And there, remember the Bible says in, in 1 John, it talks about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those are the three areas. Satan came to Eve when she was hungry, said, here's some food. There was the lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, she saw that it was good. Pride of life, Satan told her, you can be like God. So she faced that, she fell, Adam went with her. Jesus had to undo all of this, you see. So Jesus goes in the wilderness, what does the devil tempt him with? The lust of the flesh. He said, if you're the son of God, you haven't eaten in a while, why don't you make that stone bread? The problem is, is that Jesus was supposed to be fasting, not eating. And so Jesus passed test number one. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. But every word that proceeds out of mouth of the Father, etc. Anyway, and then, and then what did Satan do? He takes him up and shows him the kingdoms. You can have all this if you bow and worship the lust of the eyes. And Jesus wouldn't do it. Worship the Lord your God only. And then Satan, was his, what does he say? The pride of life. He said, look, just throw yourself down. God will catch you. You know, he quotes the Bible. He quotes it right, but... But the thing is that that would have been very presumptuous and prideful. And Jesus wasn't going to fall into that trick of being prideful. So anyway, Jesus had to pass all that. He had to basically start undoing there what was the fall. And that was where it began. He began to overcome. Where Adam and Eve fell, he began to overcome and conquer. And so when Jesus came from this time of fasting and major spiritual warfare... The Bible says the angels came and ministered unto him. And how many, how many of you guys know, you have, I've said this many times, but if Jesus needed ministry of angels, man, how much more do we need him? But Jesus got strengthened. And the Bible says when he came out of that time and he came into Galilee, that he came in the power of the Spirit and news spread about him. So Jesus' ministry was the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus went to John to be baptized, we know Jesus didn't have sin. He wasn't going to be baptized because, you know, he needed to be cleansed or something like that. There's a deeper thing that I don't have time to get into. But John the Baptist was a direct descendant of Aaron. He was passing everything to the Lord. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. 
He was immersing him. He was passing the, the priesthood. He was passing the office of the prophet. But when Jesus came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit settled upon him gently like a dove. And Jesus began to be clothed with power from on high. He had to face the devil. But when he came out of that, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus came to Nazareth. This is his hometown where he grew up. And as it was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. So you can just picture Jesus as everybody's watching him. You know, he's got the scroll of Isaiah. He's going through it, and he finds where it says this. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim uh, the release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And we know he rolled up the scroll, sat down, and the people did not receive it well. <laughs> but nonetheless, Jesus said, it is now fulfilled what Isaiah prophesied. He was basically saying, I'm the Messiah. They didn't like to hear that because he grew up there, you know. But Jesus began his ministry clothed with power. Understand this. Everything Jesus did, as we all know, this is the son of God, but he didn't do things, and he did things this way. He did things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1, 7 through 8, now Jesus' ministry on the earth is, is over. He's accomplished his mission. He, you know, he died on the cross. He raised from the dead. He appeared to all these people over 40 days. Everything that he was supposed to do, he was faithful. You know, he walked the earth. He was a, a, you know, a prophet and the son of God. And God used him mightily with signs and wonders. And now he was about to enter as he was going to ascend. He was going to really enter his great high priest office that sits at the right hand of the father and ever lives to make intercession. And he's moving into that priestly role where he is right now. But how many of you guys knows he's coming out of that priestly role into a kingly role soon. He's going to come to rule and reign. But when he was there on the earth and he was about to leave, Peter says, is it now that the kingdom will be restored? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons of the Father. But Acts 1.8, but Jesus shifts it right here. He says, listen, Peter, you're trying to figure out things a little over your head, buddy. This is a little bit above your pay grade, okay? And this is the things the Father has fixed in his seasons and timing over, you know, thousands of years, etc. I can't explain all this to you, Peter, but he puts the emphasis now on this. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. And so Jesus was putting the emphasis to those that followed him. He was saying, don't try to figure out these complicated things. And, but look, you get clothed with power from on high and now be my witnesses. But you need the power to be an effective witness. Because I remember hearing this. I was at this meeting. And we were sitting around talking with other ministers. And this guy was saying that he was really confused by it but he was telling us 
that at, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was the University of Texas at Arlington he was referring to. I think that was the college. The story, it really doesn't matter which college. But anyway, he's talking about this. He said, listen, for the last several years, and I believe if I remember right, it was around maybe 10 years or so. He said, for the last several years at this college, they've had this debating going on. And he said that there's different people that represent Christianity that have been coming in there and they've been debating different issues. You know, things like abortion, etc. And he said, you know, and he was totally confused by this. He said, I can't believe it. But he said, in all those years, all that's been said, the word of God's been quoted and all this, he said, they haven't seen one person except the Lord. He said, I can't believe it. And he was looking at me, waiting for me to be surprised. And I'm kind of like, I believe it. And he's like, what? And it's like, because that's not the realm. Listen, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to convict people in the heart, you know? It's, it's not going to be these intellectual debates that are going to win people. You can go out there if you want to and try it, and you're going to come back to me one day and say, Pastor, you was right. Go out there and argue with everybody and see what happens. You tell me how it works out for you. Go out there and fight with everybody. Argue over issues. Let me know how that goes. But if you go out there and you really give them the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, they'll be cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit will convict them. And God will do something that no man can do, no intellect could ever accomplish. It's deeper. than See, the gospel is foolishness to the natural man. But it is the power of God unto salvation. We know that. But it is by the Spirit this happens. It's deeper than your human intellect and it's deeper than your human emotions it's a spiritual thing and that's why in the book of acts i don't have this in here but acts chapter 2 when the holy spirit fell and and you know the early church the 120 they were baptized in the holy spirit they're speaking in tongues people that had come for shavuot pentecost they had come to the city of jerusalem from all over they're walking through there. They see all these people speaking in tongues. It's a sign and a wonder and all that. But what does Peter do? Peter gets up and just starts preaching. And it says that they were, that they were cut to the heart. It wasn't Peter's eloquence. It wasn't the things he was necessarily saying. What it was was the Holy Spirit was convicting their heart. And I remember... Uh, that's why Jesus said, look, guys, I'm telling you, don't try to figure out all these complicated dates and things like that. The Father's got all that. You receive the power of the Holy Spirit so you can be my witness. Now, I remember uh, Dr. Cho, and I, you guys have probably heard this, so bear with me. Some haven't. But Dr. Cho was saying for years that um, he tried to get out in the streets and witness. He said people get mad at him and want to beat him up. And he saw that his mother-in-law was going out witnessing and people she would witness and to his amazement people would cry and he said then i would go witness and people get mad and will beat me up and so finally he goes to his mother-in-law and says hey what's going on and she says you need the baptism in the holy spirit and so he said well i guess i do and so he goes out in the woods it's funny hearing him tell it but he goes out in the woods he said i just grabbed a tree and and, and held on. I said, Lord, I'm not leaving this tree until you baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Anyway, the Lord met him at that tree, baptizing the Holy Spirit. And when he came back, he came in the power of the Spirit. And because of the power of the Spirit, he said, now when he started witnessing, 
people started crying, people started being convicted, and the Holy Spirit was moving upon the harvest. See, they said that about Smith Wigglesworth. I read a book about his life and how he was a very uneducated man. He didn't even know how to read. He was a plumber. And his wife had gotten saved. She was working with the Salvation Army at that time. The Salvation Army was powerful. A lot of you guys don't know. You know it now, but you didn't know it back then. William Booth and those guys, they knew the power of God. You know that song we sing up here, Send the Fire, Burn Up Every Trace of Sin, Let the Revolution Begin and all that? That was written by William Booth. He knew the fire of God. But anyway, they would go out on the streets back then with these big bands to get the crowds. And then they would have people get up and preach uh, under an anointing of the Holy Spirit and people get saved. Well, Smith Wigglesworth's wife was involved in this, but he was always somebody that was kind of shy, introverted, uneducated, kept to himself. And, but he began to be hungry for God. And he went to a meeting and in a small meeting where he went to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He gets there. He told some men, he said, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Please pray for me. They knelt down to pray with him. Make a long story short, at some point in time, Smith was baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire. When he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, he comes out of that. And they asked him at this meeting to, to get up at the Salvation Army and preach. Now, he would have never done it before. But he got up. Now, now there was a boldness he had never had before. He got up and preached, and his wife was in the audience, and she was so dumbfounded. She could not believe. She said, she said that is not the same Smith that I knew. That's a different man. And let me tell you, we know the story of Smith Wigglesworth. He, he, after he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I mean, he began to be a fireball for God. And he began to see great miracles. I mean, literally seeing people raised from the dead and everything else. But what changed Smith? What made him go from being that way to really being used mightily was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So tonight, I just want to put a real emphasis on that. I feel that's what the Holy Spirit is saying. We need to be clothed with power from on high. And it's not just a one-time thing. We need a fresh anointing today and not be talking about the revival 20 years ago. We need a fresh baptism of fire now, okay? We need a fresh move of God. And I'm always going after God for more. And again, this is another scripture referring to the same situation, but in Luke 24, 46, Jesus was about to leave. And he said to his disciples, he said, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you. Look at this. I am sending you forth the promise of my Father. But you stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. Jesus was basically saying to them, look, guys, I didn't even start the ministry until I was baptized with, uh, you know, with John and, and the Holy Spirit clothed me. He's saying, I did everything in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I operated that way, and I'm telling you, don't just leave here and just go try to do something in your human flesh and your intellect and your ability and all that. Don't do that. He said, you wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power and then you do the things I did by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it takes that power. And I remember, 
years ago, you know, God's been moving in my life. It really, for quite a while, I got, gave my life to the Lord in, in 95, January 95. But sometime in 96, I went to Brownsville, and that's when God powerfully touched me. But I'll never forget, because when the Holy Spirit really touched me, it was different. And I would come back. I was just helping out in this, this smaller church with the youth. I was actually still doing Bible school and was quite young. But as I, was, I went and got so mightily touched there at Brownsville, I mean, it was a baptism of fire. And we know we need a baptism of fire. And I remember just going there and getting prayer. I was, I was like 20 years old. And, you know, I'd been around Pentecost my whole life. And, but I'd been really away from God for years too. And I'd come back to the Lord 95. And when I went there, I'd never seen what I saw there though. I'd never seen that, that level of hunger, that level of power. And it was an awesome thing. And I remember some random altar worker prayed for me and I was just thrown back and laying on the ground. I was baptized in fire. Well, when I came back and I had been, you know, helping out with these young people and everything, I remember just talking in the pulpit and seeing some of the young people start crying. And God was doing something and, and the Holy Spirit began to move in the altars. They'd be falling out under the power and getting things right with God. And what made the difference? The baptism of the Holy Spirit a fresh, fresh baptism of fire. It took the power. And so one of the ways that we can receive is by getting prayer. So I encourage people, we always make it available in most services to pray with everybody. But it's so important because, let me read it to you, Romans 1.11 Paul told them in the church in Rome, because this was one of his earlier writings, uh, he was like a dad to these people. You know, he, he started the church. Many of them got saved under his ministry. But he told them, he said, look, I long to see you that I may impart to you. Everybody say impart. Some spiritual gift that you may be established. Now, I did a study, a word study on this, and the word established can be translated to make you strong or to take you to a place of strength. It's a process. Is that, and the reason why God spoke to me about that was because I remember there was this prophetic man when I was around this age, I was around 20. You know, I gave my life to the Lord in uh, 95. So this was like a year later. I was a baby Christian. I had come out of so much sin and, and, and God had a, had a lot of work cut out for him in my life. And so God was beginning to work on me. But thank God I went to Brownsville because... That fire never died, and God was burning out all that junk. You know, for the next couple years, you know, through the 90s um, into probably around 2001, 2, God was just doing a deep work in my life. But this prophetic guy came to me and told me, he said, the anointing on your life is very mature. The anointing is. But he said, you're not. He said, but that's okay. Because the anointing will mature you you know here i was i've been saved like maybe a year or two as a baby christian i knew i wasn't mature uh, in life <laughs> or in the lord or in any other way but the anointing was going to change me and how did i receive that when i went to these revival meetings and hands were laid upon me and that's all through the word i mean you can read the book of acts but there's something about the laying on of hands. And to this day, I mean, I've been, 
Uh, I've been in this thing a long time now. Uh, this is all these years later. And I've been around. We, my wife and I have seen people really touched by God in our ministry. But I still try to go get a fresh anointing when there's one out there. And I, you know, here recently there was this awesome conference in Pensacola. Light the fire again. And I really felt let to go. And Daniel Kalinda and C-Fan put it on. And, and they had everybody from the Archtown Revival and all that. But I remember I really prayed. I was like, Lord, I feel led to go and just work it out. Because there's so many people. Work it out where I can receive everything you want. And God gave me a dream. And I kind of knew what was going to happen to a degree from the dream. And sure enough, that's exactly. It's interesting how God knows all things. He's just laying it out. And that's exactly what he showed me. It's exactly what happened while I was there. But I remember it's so neat because... I'll tell you kind of a cool story, and I, we got a little bit of time. So when I first gave my life to the Lord, I had, like I said, I come out so much sin, but I had grown up around Pentecost. So when you grew up around these things, there were times when we, you know, my parents sent us off like the youth camp and stuff like that, that we got really touched by God. And, and um, I remember I came back to the Lord, and God had to do such a work in me, but I had went to Bible school in Waxahachie and I was just, this was just so, I was such a baby Christian and I had just heard about things that were going on like at Brownsville and stuff like that. And I remember that somebody had played the video of um, Allison Ward, you know, she's shaking and prophesying and um, I honor everybody there, but you know, they, they weren't really on board with everything at first and you know, you have to be cautious, but, and they kind of quenched it, just to be honest. But, but man, the Holy Spirit just started moving through there, just, just from a video being shown. And it was like a, it wasn't a long video, five or ten minute video. The Holy Spirit began to shoot through that Bible school, and I saw people kind of weeping, and, and I felt it. I knew something was up, something was stirring. And a friend of mine told me, hey, man, you ought to go to... Uh, you ought to go down to this church in South Dallas. And so I went, and uh, it, was, it was like in the part of town where me being the white guy was the minority, okay? So they, they were people that knew how to praise and worship, okay? Not like the white folks, so don't, don't get offended. But they knew how to dance and get free. Anyway, so they were there jamming out. I was excited, but Claudio came from the Archtime Revival, and I knew something was in the atmosphere that I hadn't really been around. There was freedom. There was an anointing. There was an electricity in the atmosphere. People were really dancing, getting free in the Lord. And something was going on. I remember I was just dancing, praising God. And I went down for prayer, and Claudio prays for me. And I was hit by the power, and it was just a new, fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost. Tongues began to break forth in my life. And it was interesting because I was telling my wife this when I went to Light the Fire Again. That was probably 96 when that happened. When I went to Light the Fire Again conference, Claudio was the first speaker. How many years later is that? Somebody help me out. It was like 23 years, 20, 25, whatever. It was a long time later. Here's Claudio again. And I go down, and I, I'm down in the front, and I'm just like, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life. And sure enough, Claudio sees me. And just quickly comes down and looks at me and says, take it. And I'm hit again. All these years later, hit by the power of God, thrown in the air, land on the ground. <laughs> A fresh baptism and fire. 
And I felt, though, coming back from that, some things that come full circle. I believe it's time for River of Life to get out of this season and go into the next season. I feel like it is. Remember I said that. Something's about to change. So there is something about the laying on of hands and receiving. Uh, During the 90s revivals, when God mightily touched me, this was very common. And I remember going, whether it be to Brownsville meetings or meetings with Rodney Howard Brown or Benny Hinn or others, uh, Toronto would come to town, and you would get, get a lot of prayer. Sadly, that's not as common now. You know, you go to different conferences, and it's just teaching, and, you know. So, you know, you can, you can listen to stuff at home. When you, when you go somewhere, you go hungry to encounter the Lord, man. You know, you want prayer. Uh, but anyway... So in Acts 8.14, talking about the laying on of hands, how the Holy Spirit moves through the laying on of hands. Remember the story where um, uh, Philip, Philip the evangelist, went into Samaria. And he went in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Samaria began to get saved. I mean, tons of people were getting saved. Demons were leaving people. Cripples were walking. Blind eyes were open. Power of God. And remember, Simon the sorcerer even saw and believed and was baptized. But Philip, he, Jesus was really the, went there first. Remember that with the woman at the well, kind of laid the foundation. When Philip came in, I mean, it was a big harvest of souls. But the church back in Jerusalem heard about it. And Acts 8, 14 says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent for Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen upon them yet. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them and they were receiving the Spirit. So there's something about the laying on of hands that's very powerful. And anytime I was going to revival meetings, I was getting prayer as much as I could, you know. I had the honor of, of working, um, you know, Steve Hill at that church, and there was a few, there was three of us, me and there was two others. That brother Steve and Doris sent us out, and, but I was in church there a lot with him, and every time he'd pray for people, I'd try to get up there and get prayer, you know. But let me just encourage people tonight before I get to the last couple of things. Don't lose your incredible, desperate hunger for more of God. Because the great enemy to everything I'm talking about tonight is the religious spirit. And let me just say this about the religious spirit. There is a whole class category of demonic spirits that Satan has, has empowered. And their goal, their assignment is against the church. And their goal is to keep everything I'm preaching on tonight out of the church. One way or another to kill the fire of God, to kill the power of God, to shut down the operation of the gifts, to silence tongues. That's what they do. And so I encourage you, don't lose your desperate hunger for more of God. Don't allow yourself to backslide. Catch it. If you, if you begin to wane, catch yourself and pray the Lord to set you ablaze again. It was interesting because we kind of have a setup, my wife and I, to where we were continually, along with others in the church, the Watchmen program, we're continually in prayer and fasting. 
that helps you stay on fire. Well, the week that we took off, and I needed a vacation, we took off for uh, Thanksgiving, and it was nice. I mean, for a couple days, nothing to do. We all need that every once in a while, amen? Nothing to do, just eating turkey, happy. Well, I noticed, though, after days of that, I noticed that it was, it was different. It was like the hunger, the passion, the fire. And I remember thinking, man, you know, I didn't feel the nearness, you know. And, and so that, that coming Monday is my day to, to fast and pray in the watchman. And my first prayer was, Lord, don't let me start backsliding or, you know, getting where the hunger's gone. I was like, and as soon as I prayed that, I felt the Holy Spirit begin to move so powerfully again. God's going to honor that prayer that we stay on fire. Amen? And stay hungry for Him. But don't lose that desperate hunger because Satan, I'm telling you, these religious spirits, don't think that they don't have your number. Don't think that they, they aren't at work. Their goal is to try to get you out of prayer, out of church, out of the Word. And where you're just a shell of what you should be. That's their goal. Where you're lukewarm and ineffective. But if we're continually pressing in for more. I remember Brother Steve. I, I, love, you know, I love everybody. I don't mean this in any way negative. But there was a guy that came to Dallas. And I remember that there was a group of, of ministers. That the idea of coming together was for revival. Everybody say revival that was the whole point and so they have this guy come in and i mean to tell you he preached the literally i'm not exaggerating you guys are going to think i am he preached like okay here's a steve hill message he preached the exact opposite of that message in every way you'd hear brother steve i just I still hear him in the back of my head to this you hear him out there be hungry and on fire go after god don't ever stop going after god there's more this guy was saying this, and I'm not exaggerating, saying you should just be content where you're at. I mean, the Lord's enough for you, just, you know. <laughs> and I'm sitting there just like, and there's goofy people all around, you know. Hey, man, you know, just eating it up, and I'm just shaking my head. And he was saying all kinds of stuff. He's using some words in his sermon that weren't Christ-like and everything. I'm sitting there going, who is this guy? And listen, you need to be careful who you're following, some people don't have a clue what they're talking about or where they're going. So, holy desperation. Holy desperation and a, and a holy discontentment. In Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I say to you, Jesus said, Among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force. So, people that are passive, and they kind of have an attitude like, well, if God wants to move in my life, he'll just do it, those type of people, they're usually not going to see God move in their life. The Lord said, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's something about the heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What that's talking about here is not physical violence. This is talking about being aggressive. You know, there's something about going after God for more. 
The Bible says, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. But there has to be this desperate hunger to press into him. And as I looked over, there's a couple more things to say tonight, but as I looked over past revivals, I went through a time when I really studied in depth a lot of these past revivals. I still go back and read some things, but I found that there was commonalities, and one, one of the, the common denominators of all the past revivals was that there was always a group of people that realized that the church was in trouble, society was in trouble and we need to pray and fast and get a hold of God that was the common denominator now if they had sat back and been content with things revival would have never happened do you see what I'm saying there's been some people and I'm sure they mean well it's kind of goofy but I've even heard some people preach don't pray for revival be revival and silly they don't know what they're talking about have you ever read about past revivals where heaven came down in a region and millions of people's lives were changed and so they're telling you to be that that doesn't even make any sense that's God coming down that's not you <laughs> anyway past revivals but people got desperate they were desperate that's what I'm talking about tonight there's got to be a desperate cry a desperate hunger for more of the Lord and I think about Brother Stephen, he used to say, is your shadow healing the sick? Of course, everybody's like, well, no, probably not. And he said, well, you know, there's always more than isn't there. And so there's more of the Lord than where you're at right now, there is more. And as you keep going deeper in Christ, you, God begins to maybe strip away some things out of our lives that need to go. And we go to a different level in him that we weren't in before. I mean, it's like a dimension of, of prayer, a dimension of the glory, just, just knowing the Lord more intimately, maybe revelation out of the word that we hadn't had before. But there's always a pursuit of going deeper in the Lord the rest of your life. Don't ever get stuck in some place where you just kind of just landed there and you're not really growing spiritually that right there is religion and i've seen it over and over again overtake different ministries different churches and different people where they kind of get settled into a certain place they're comfortable there and they just lay down and they stay there but i'm telling you the rest of your life keep going after god for more but anyway as people begin to pray and fast See, the violent take it by force. It's not a physical violence, like I said earlier. It's, it's a, a desperation. It's an aggressiveness. It's a pursuit. And they began to really pray and fast and go after God. And, and because of their pursuit, see, somebody says, well, you know, I've still struggled with this, that, and the other. Okay. Well, when you start praying and fasting and getting desperate with God, God's going to meet you. As long as you're sitting around doing things that you don't need to be doing, there's got to be some kind of an aggressiveness about it where you're willing to lay down anything you need to and go after him. Did I lose my battery? No, I'm good. But the violent take it by force. In revival, when God comes down and the Holy Spirit begins to move, the impossible becomes possible. In Joel 2... When the people of Israel, God said, if you'll pray 
and you'll call solemn assembly, you'll fast and, and press into me, you'll cry out to me. He said, I will drive away this northern army. I'll restore all the years the locusts have eaten. And I'll pour out my spirit in an awesome way. But it was Israel that had to take that step to press into God in prayer and fasting and repenting of their sin and going after him. And that would be his response to that. Been in revival. I gave this example last time we were together. Brother Benny was here. But there was that story about the ship and the captain and, and this young man. And, and the ship was just basically, it was a very large vessel, was stuck in the mud. And the captain was kind of laughing. He's like, the young man's pushing on it. This thing isn't going to move. You got, your sh you got your ship stuck in the mud. And the captain said, well, don't worry about it. He said, when the tide comes in. Well, sure enough, the tide came in later, and that young man could go up, and he could really push on that big vessel, and it would move some. Because see, what was immovable before, when the tide came in, became movable. There's things that people think, man, there's no way. You understand that past moves of God, Look it up for yourself, study it. Don't take my word for it, but you'll find I'm right. Almost every past move of God started with a handful of people, usually 12 or less, that were desperate for God, prayed and fasted, sought God, got a breakthrough, and God showed up and didn't just touch their lives, but many times he would touch so many thousands and tens of thousands and sometimes millions of people's lives through that revival. But it almost always started with a small group of hungry, desperate people. And they felt when they were praying and they were fasting, they were going after God, they felt like they were pushing that ship in the mud that it was immovable. They felt like the problems in the church world, the problems in society, people aren't hungry for God anymore. The bars are full. The church is empty. It felt immovable, impossible. But they kept pressing into God, crying out, desperate. But when the tide came in, all of a sudden, what was impossible became possible. The immovable started moving. And I remember reading the, the stories in the Isle of Hebrides, and that was actually what happened. There was a group of people. It was around a dozen or less. You had two elderly women. You had around seven to ten men in a barn. But they were crying out to God because the churches were empty, and the bars and the dance halls, etc., were full. But when the Holy Spirit started moving, all of a sudden, the bars started emptying out. The churches started filling up. What seemed impossible became possible because God came down. Awesome stories. You should YouTube that and listen to Duncan Campbell talk about it. Duncan Campbell said the Holy Spirit fell so hard that there was a whole bunch of young people at a dance. He said they just fled from there like fleeing from a plague. And they made for the church. One of the young women was crying out on the floor, saying, Lord, is there mercy for me? Only God can do that, empty out a dance hall, and then run into the church and get saved. You see what I'm saying? It was a move of God. And the last thing I want to say is this. Make sure to overcome the great enemy of revival, which I've already mentioned. That's the religious spirit. In Revelation 2.1, to the, church of the, or to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. Now keep in mind here real quick about Ephesus. Paul, I did a study on this. The apostle Paul went through Ephesus. He had three missionary journeys. He went through Ephesus the first time and nothing happened. 
Nothing seemed to have happened. The second time he goes through Ephesus, he had the greatest revival of his entire ministry. So don't get discouraged because sometimes it looks like nothing's happening. Because you read about that great revival in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. This was where he stayed for two years. The entire area heard the gospel. So many people were getting saved. A bunch of witches and occultists were bringing all their stuff and had this huge bonfire. They burned it. And it was quite expensive what all was burned. I mean, it was a major move of God to the degree that even handkerchiefs and aprons and things that were brought to him, he would pray over them and send them out because a lot of times people couldn't travel back then if they were sick. And they would take them to people and demons would leave them and, and they'd be healed of all kinds of things. Major revival. So you have to understand when you read Paul wrote to the book of Ephesians, this was a revival church. But this is also the church where Paul talk, taught us about the armor of God. He talked about spiritual warfare. You know, and he taught making sure your home's in order. But it's a revival church birthed in the fires of revival. And the book of Ephesians was written to that church. Now with that in mind, look at what Jesus says on the Isle of Patmos to John about them. He says, I want you to write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. You know, the Lord called the angel of the church. That was the pastor. Just putting that out there. Just, you know. And then the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, verse 2, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. You found them to be false. And you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. So the Lord has got a lot of compliments about this revival church. But listen, it's not over. He says, but I have this against you that you left your first love. How easy it is to begin to lose the revival. To begin to lose the fire in your own personal heart for a church to get away from the fire. And the first love there, interestingly enough, for those that like these type of word studies, it means in the Greek, your supreme love feast. And it has to do with the communion table. That's interesting. There's something about communion connected to revival, by the way. But it says in verse 5, Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. The Lord's saying get back to revival fire. What were you doing before? Well, I was in prayer more. I was, I was in the word more. I was, I was hungry. I came to church hungry. I was a worshiper. I you know, went out witnessing. Well, then get back to the fire of God again. Get back on fire. Do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So the lampstand has to do with the the ministry of the word of god and the spirit but the lampstand is really metaphorically speaking it it represents their status as a church before god so he was saying here i walk among the lampstands those are the churches that's a scary scripture if you really think about what he's saying but the lampstand in the tabernacle always spoke of god's word like the light of the word but it spoke of the holy spirit because there were seven 
And it spoke of the spirit of the Lord, wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit comes in his sevenfold ministry, his fullness, that's the lampstand, the fire of God. The church needs, we need that fresh anointing. We need that fresh fire. That what that lampstand represents, we need that fresh oil, that fresh fire. We need that power in our midst. But we've got to do our part to keep the first love. We have to be pursuing him. That's why I started um, the ministry like Watchmen where we're continually in prayer and fasting. And that's why we keep having prayer meetings. And You know, years ago, you know, it's been like an ebb and flow and this and that about different people and but I remember years ago, we, we were out witnessing, and, and I remember there were times that we had, you know, several going, but there were times we didn't have hardly anybody going, witnessing. And also the same thing with prayer. Now, now years later, we have pretty good show out for prayer meetings, but it was a time that, you know, not everybody came. And uh, we all know how that is. You can get everybody to a barbecue, but... You get everybody to do a prayer meeting, you know. So I commend you guys because y'all come. But anyway, I remember years ago that I was, you know, I could have been discouraged, but I made up my mind before the Lord. And I don't know that I've ever said this from the pulpit, but I know I told my wife this, but I made up my mind, we're going to keep witnessing if it's only one or two people till Jesus comes. It don't make any difference. And we're going to keep praying if it's just me and my wife at the prayer meeting until Jesus comes. We're going to keep praying. And you know what? We've been doing that now ever since. And the, the glory keeps increasing. The fire keeps burning. But you have to keep that fire lit. So here's the last couple things about a religious spirit. And I close with this. Don't allow distractions in your life. My wife preached an awesome sermon recently about that distractions things that are going to get you out of prayer get you out of the word get you out of church or whatever don't allow any distractions in your life you've got to make up your mind that you are going to remove any hindrance or distraction to go after God whatever that is and let me tell you a story Leonard Ravenhill told this you I promise you're not going to hear a story like this nowadays in very many places because it flies in the face of modern Americanized Christianity right now. Leonard Ravenhill said there was this young lady that he knew that moved to America from Russia. This was years ago, back when we were still in the Cold War and we were talking about the KGB and stuff like that. Okay, this was back then, and it was very real. The Christians there in Russia were very, very much in danger. And she moved fleeing the persecution there and found solace here. But while she was there in Russia, the church was underground, and she would, she would have to get up and really seek the Lord. Um, they, it was kind of dangerous where it was, etc. But she was still hungry and on fire for God. She got to America, and she had freedom, but over time she found that her hunger and thirst and passion for the Lord was waning a lot. Because things, she felt that things were just too easy. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And Linda Ravenhill knew this young lady and was talking to her. Did you know 
that she chose to go back and live in Russia and be on fire for the Lord and try to win other people to him than be here in ease. Wow. It's easy in places like this where, you know, it's just easy to backslide if you're not careful. It's easy to get lukewarm. Many people do it. But I know we all know this, but Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. You know, it's not something you want in your life. Um, but here's some things about a religious spirit. Relationship versus just religious ritual. You know, I have a prayer life every day and I will till Jesus comes or I die. But I refuse to ever let it just be a religious ritual. I want to know him. And we spend time together. He speaks to me. I speak to him. Also, watch out with a religious spirit about any hypocrisy. Because remember, Jesus, if you want to see a religious spirit in operation, look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they looked so good outwardly. You know, you can only imagine. They, they all, you know, went around and all their pomped and you know, the way they were dressed, the way they acted. Everybody thought that they were great. But Jesus said, look, they're actually just whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He said, don't do as they do because they're hypocrites. They themselves don't even do what they preach. So a religious spirit creates a hypocrisy where people will, will act one way and then another way. They're not really living for the Lord things in their lives and I've done I made up my mind a long time ago when I got saved God had to clean me up and spend years doing a work in my life and I understand that there is a place for that but I don't want anybody to look at my life and I'm sure you feel the same way and that we're the reason why that they're not going to accept the Lord you know what I'm saying now all those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites look at him right there I don't want that. I want people to look at my life and say there's something different about him and I want it to draw them to the Lord, not away from the Lord. Um, also, watch out for unrighteous judgment and destructive criticisms. That's a strong religious spirit. It's spiritual pride. But the enemy of religious spirit will attack minds, will attack your mind with all types of unrighteous judgment and criticisms about others, other ministries, other churches, other things. And you have to humble yourself and not get sucked into that. It's dangerous. That was the greatest hindrance to revivals in the 90s, was the religious spirit in people that they would go there and because it was so different than what they were used to, they sat back like this, judging and criticizing. And because of that, they couldn't even receive. In fact, I remember Steve said that one of the greatest deliverances that took place in Brownsville was from a critical spirit. Also, watch out for debating. That spirit of arguing and debating about things. Debating about the word. People sit around and argue about the stupidest things. I remember David Hogan saying, that, you know, he said, look, I'm out here in the jungles of Mexico ministering to these 
Indians, they're the descendants of the Mayans, Incans, Aztecs, ministering also to some, some of the Mexicans. He said, he said, I go to America and they want to sit around and argue and fuss about this person in the church that's manifesting a demon. Okay, are they a Christian? Are they not a Christian? Is it in, on, or around them? Are they oppressed, depressed, possessed? And they want to sit around and argue about all their theological debates. And he said, well, I got an idea. Why don't you just cast the demon out of him? You see what I'm saying? It, it, but that's, that's a religious spirit. They, they have no power, and they sit around arguing about the stupidest things. Also, watch out for a religious spirit about gossip, slander, and division. And the last two, witchcraft control. Religious people seek control. They want to dictate the flow of a service. You guys ever seen this? They'll give you the outline of the service when you get there. 10 o'clock to 10.05 <laughs> is the opening statement. Then from 10.05 to 10.15, they're going to sing this song, then this song, then this song. It's all laid out. And they got everything structured totally under man's control. If the Holy Spirit ever does show up, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to they're gonna go crazy. And I remember thinking, you know, in the revivals of the 90s, I remember, for example, being in this, uh, I was in many, many meetings, but I remember one time Rodney Howard Brown was just up there. I, the man wasn't doing anything. I don't know why they're criticizing him because he was like this, just watching. And the Holy Spirit just fell. I mean, people falling out of their pew, people laughing, or people crying over here, all kinds of stuff happening but the end result was people getting saved people being healed people being delivered etc 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 but see the religious people can't handle that because they want to be in control and that is outside of their control because you can't control the holy spirit and because they can't grab that service and pull it into their control they get really mad and they start criticizing and coming against it. Yet the whole time it's the Holy Spirit. You know what? It reminds me of this. The Bible says God's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The humble just go there and say, Lord, whatever you want to do in me. The service may seem like that. Things happening all around. I, I'm humble. But see, a proud person will be critical. And they're going to miss the move of God. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. And so witchcraft control, it's rebellion, uh, etc. But also, finally, be patient with people. You know, when we, we're going to see a lot of people accept the Lord, and just like he's had to do in me, and just like he's had to do in you guys, if you'll be honest, he has to do a lot of cleaning up out of our lives, you know. And God knows the real. He knows those that are sincere. And he'll work with the sincere. And they will, the sincere will eventually change. But there are people that are not sincere. And they'll never change. They'll end up just going back from where they came from. But see, only God knows that heart of sincerity. So be patient with people through the process of what God's doing. All right. Well, tonight I want to pray for people if you want prayer. And I'm going to believe God to really touch you. 
something's up. I feel the anointing tonight. So whenever you're ready, you can shut things down and, you know, you play that iPod or whatever. Well, we will need to probably move the chairs.